Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Steph, and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. I hope you're really well. The sun is shining as I record this, so that is something. I don't think I've any major news from the Douglas household. We are just holding it together. It's one of those months when one or other of us is away, so I'm trying to do some deep breathing, eat cereal for tea a couple of times a week, which I think is okay. Put some banana in it and you're all right. Um, And yeah, my youngest has suddenly grown up, he's five, and he's taken up Nerf guns, which are around the house from my elder son, who doesn't play with them anymore, but just means you're likely to get pelted with a bullet at any point. So it keeps me on my toes. Also, he's into football and likes to nutmeg me when I'm trying to move around the kitchen. So for anyone that doesn't know, that's kicking the ball between your feet. It's really, really annoying. It just means I'm falling over and being battered with Nerf guns quite a lot. So today's episode is a business special episode where I talk to a founder and we do these episodes once a month. And I try not to do that gushy thing about guests as I think it's a weird thing that podcast hosts do and it can leave you as a listener feeling a bit on the outside. Um, however, as a business fan of myself, Alex De Pledge is a proper business legend and I can't help a bit be a bit gushy. She is currently growing her second tech business having sold her first hassle.com for 32 million euros. Her current business resi.co.uk is the UK's largest and only nationwide residential architectural platform. So they kind of guide you through the whole process if you're having worked onto your house rather than having to manage lots of different elements and lots of different people and learn new language in the process of doing it um, so their aim is to save customers money and time as well as make it a kind of less torturous experience so we talk about the story behind her businesses but we also go into how to make it work with a family alex's experience of burnout um, and being a vulnerable leader and also just what the role of a leader is compared to what we maybe thought it would be and the responsibility that comes with that and I have to add that recently I was having a bit of a wobble, just questioning whether I knew what I was doing. Can I do it? What do I know? Um, I think probably pretty normal. In fact, I think she said to me, if you don't think you're getting it horribly wrong at least once a week, then you're not doing it right. Um, but we went for lunch and she's so straight talking. She's not going to encourage you to do something she thinks is a terrible idea, but she's also a really big supporter of others and kind of gets the challenges. And in doing research for this i found more than a couple of references to alex as being a breath of fresh air and one said that in a heavily male tech world it's not because she's female but because she's straight talking masses of energy and doesn't seem to have an ego or something to prove which is really refreshing 
Uh, this episode is sponsored by HR Star, who can help small businesses with HR, and I will explain a bit more about them in the episode. But over to my conversation with Alex to pledge. So how are you doing? Really? Honestly, actually, all right. Bizarrely, Jules keeps saying to me, so how long is this new version of you going to last? I'm super positive and I'm like, life is great. Everything's going to be fine this year. And she's just like, I, can I get the old version back? I prefer, <laughs> I prefer the negative version of you. Because Jules is your business partner. So we should probably start with that because you've mm-hmm. co-founded two businesses with her. Yeah. So Jules is my co-founder for this business. I'm a previous business. She's also my best friend. We met when she was 20 and I was, I don't know, I think I was 25. We've been friends a long time. It's really funny because I'm Alex and she's Jules. So most investors and bank managers think that we're men, which is quite funny because we've got androgynous names. So it's always quite a delight quite to surprise helpful. people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if we start with what became Hassle.com. So mm. I think I first kind of found you talking on podcasts about hassle.com and the fact that you'd sold it for 32 million euros which all Mm. sounds very impressive I'm sure there's loads more to it than that but it was essentially it was like matching cleaners with people who are looking for cleaners as a service exactly so it didn't start out like that first of all it's called Teddle because we wanted something memorable like Google and we started trying to build a local services marketplace of people who wanted like a dog walker or a tutor or a mobile hairdresser or a cleaner and it's actually really hard it turns out to start a business across multiple categories because every category behaves differently Mm. and you have to market every category so we were about ready to give up sort of a year and a half into it when I won't tell you about the full meltdown that I had but I had an epic meltdown and threw my teddy out the court and then we started to look at the data before we kind of packed it in because I was going to go get my job back and we found out that like one in four people coming to the site were looking for a cleaner. So we were like, oh, that's bizarre. We don't have any cleaners. And that was kind of our like light bulb moment. And that's essentially how I ended up building Europe's largest cleaning marketplace was like pure accident. We've talked about the fact, basically when the shit hits the fan and you're back yeah. against the wall, if you're the sort of person who has started a business, which makes you a certain type of person, probably that's when you almost flourish most and you kind of go you look for solutions and you keep yeah. going and you drive forward and that's exactly what you did with hassle.com yeah it is 100 percent. and people often ask me about starting a business mm-hmm. like if I had it for a pound for every time someone told me they got an idea I'd be like really rich and wouldn't need to work but for me it's like there's always loads of great ideas the actual difficult bit is getting started and people always think that they need to have a business plan and a bank loan and they need you know they kind of need a product and actually I think people are at their most innovative when they literally have nothing, when it's just chaos. And it's that creation that comes out of that chaos, which is it ends up being something you would never have imagined if you'd had money and resources and a plan and a team and all that. Do you know that all that other stuff you imagine is part of business? Actually, business is rawest, rawest form is literally you having nothing and fashioning something together. And that's Mm. the bit about business that I like really, really love. I think people like who are serious entrepreneurs I think they're not that interested once it gets past that really gritty bit because <laughs> it's when you kind of have to yeah you like, like I say you flourish but I think 
I've learned a lot in the last couple of years from Don't Buy Her Flowers in that it grew so quickly. And a lot of that was to do with circumstance. Like we were we were in the right place at the right time, but also people were looking for our product and we did it well. So there's an element of that was the hard work bit, but there was a lot of luck involved. But when we then got further down the line, like, right, actually, we need to scale some stuff back because the market has changed and it is quieter and we can't run in the same, like operationally at the same rate. Actually, that meant we had to strip some stuff back. And you realise that you've added things in that actually you don't need or you're paying someone else to do something, which when you're really busy and the money's flowing in, it's very, very easy to take on, isn't it? And everyone always wonders why big companies lose ground to startups. And and yeah. it's, that's the answer is right there. It's the bloat. Because like you think about it, big companies, yeah. they've got everything. They've got the best workforce, the right idea, the market, the data, the product, everything. Mm. Logically speaking, startups should not be able to come in and undercut a competitor, but they can because of exactly that, the, the bloat and the fact you take your eye off the prize and then you end up accumulating stuff you don't actually really need. Mm. Everyone's got a person sitting in the corner of an office with a spreadsheet and you've got no idea what they really do. Yeah. Um, and it's it's avoiding that that's the hardest in business. And I think mm. like you, we've we've been in exactly the same place over the last sort of two to three years. You know, we've gone from like 150 down to like just over 100. And that's fluctuating over the pandemic and then coming out of the pandemic, then inflation and, and now where we are today. And it just makes you realise like actually how few people you need to run a business, which I probably shouldn't mm. say that on a, in a public mm. forum, but it's true. Yeah, or, or that there's jobs that you assigned to a person and it's like actually they could do all these other things and it's not to say you completely max out somebody until they're broken but sometimes you're kind of reserving a role for someone else separate that actually it could be that that person can do it but just on on your current business obviously you sold you sold one business for a huge amount of money and there's some really good podcasts actually you're on secret leaders which is a great podcast talking about your kind of story um Mm. and there's another one as well so I'll put links to those where you kind of go through all your journey so far but talk about resi what do you do once Jules and I exited Hassel, which again, like you talk about looking business, that that was we weren't looking for an exit. That was 100 percent look, right time, right market, all that kind of stuff. But after that, we were both like, oh, my God, I'm never doing that again. And I'd had a baby. Well, I had the bit ba- I had Harper in the February and then I sold the company in July. So I think she was two weeks old when I was on a plane to Germany to negotiate this like sale. Because if Joe, it was just you look back on it and you're just like, how on earth did I think that that was like a good idea? But yeah. you just do these things, don't you? I remember Jules arriving and I just got out of the hospital and <laughs> Harper wasn't even 24 hours old. And she walked in with a present for the baby and her laptop stuffed in the present bag. So the day if my husband couldn't see it and she sort of took me in the kitchen when it was kind of appropriate. And she was just like, I can't do this without you. You need to like import like this company's going to get sold. And we were just like, oh my God, this can't happen at the same. I've just had a baby yeah. less than 24 hours ago. Yeah. So anyway, that whole process took like three months. So she was three months old when I sold the business and I, I was meant to stay there a year. And that lasted six months before it was just untenable. Um, so there was nine months passed really before I actually got to know my child. And so when I kind of got out of that business, I was like, yeah. I'm never doing that again. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm never, ever, ever running a business again. And that lasted like six months. And the reason for that was because I started doing an extension on the side of my house. And as everyone does, like in these life moments, whether you get married, you have a child, you've got an elderly parent moving in, you get divorced, like whatever. It's usually Mm. key life moments when you think about either renovating your house or moving. 
And so I started doing this running and there wasn't anything mega, mega wrong with it, but it was really analog, lots of spreadsheets, mm. lots of site mm. visits, lots of just didn't really know what I was doing. It's the one thing that you're probably going to do one, maybe twice in your entire life. And you have to learn this massive amount of technical knowledge yeah. to feel anyway comfortable about what the decision you're making. So like, who knows what building regulations are, like whether you need a structural engineer, um, you know, if your foundations need underpinning, all of this stuff. And it is mm. stuff, literally stuff that an architect will ask you and you're just like, oh. Mm. So that was the kind of kernel of the idea for Resi. I was like, nobody has thought about this from a consumer perspective and no one's taken technology and just made it a bit easier so that's essentially what we did with resi is we built like floor to ceiling full stack solution whatever you want to call it that takes you from your idea all the way through to your completed project um and it's all done online so it's you know you can imagine the pandemic for us demand went through the roof right at the time that we couldn't actually meet supply so that was quite fun but um that's how we that's how we essentially got started is i did a an extension and then i started researching into the to the trade and realized like how unproductive it was and how little architects actually got paid there's just lots and lots of reasons to go into this area but so I rang Jules and convinced her that it was a good idea and she's like oh my god not again and here we are seven years later <laughs> but um but I just think there's a reason that people didn't do it and it's because it's really really hard uh, you've but, got you to know, manage a lot of people right loads of layers so the idea being that you make it quicker for people ideally uh, less expensive and you've got some really nice little your bullet points that you give go on give them we're faster we're more affordable it's a really high quality of of work that you get from us but then we join all the dots so I think the best way to describe resi is it, it just your account manager just stays with you through that whole journey so when you're facing the builders told me that I need to pay X. Yeah. We're like, well, we can help you work out whether that's true or not. And it's just that sort of, it's like a comfort blanket. It's that reassuring comfort blanket around the whole process. And, you know, we are very like, at the minute, very focused on making sure that if we're going to come in and rip out your roof or the back of your wall and put an extension on, we also look at the whole house and make sure we can see how we can make your house more comforting, i.e. save you money on your bills, which is a huge problem for people right now, mm. Is as well as needing more space. They need the houses to work a lot harder for them. So, again, we've I seem to have fallen into a sector that just seems to be right time, right place. But, yeah, purely through looking at it as a, as a consumer, because most people were just like, but you're not an architect. How can you go and do this? And it was like, well... Probably a good question, but I think that's exactly what it needed is someone who wasn't an architect looking at yeah. it and going, actually advocate for the consumer in this instance. So when that's all the best ideas, right, where you've looked at it from a consumer point of view, because otherwise you're just telling people what they well, you'd be repeating what people yeah. what architects have been doing for years and years in the same same it's the thing. same it's the same insight you had with like please don't buy me flowers that's yeah. just work yeah you know it's it's when you go through it you kind of have these insights yourself and I've, I've now done like four innovations and trust me every time I do another one I learn a bit more about what we should be doing better so I'm like the company guinea pig if you like as well as it's <laughs> <laughs> you have to manage loads of people across lots of different elements of the job and yeah. then they've got whole networks of people that they're dealing with so I was listening to you talk about hiring and how it used to be that it was like you, you would be looking at their CV and what experience have they got and that kind of thing because I think especially for small businesses so someone who might be listening to this hiring people is actually terrifying because yeah. you kind of think oh god if I don't get it right and you want to have you want them to be the right fit and but also you want them to help your business and help you so that you're yeah not doing more by having to sort of handhold someone so what have you learned about hiring 
oh god that I'm really bad at it um or I used to <laughs> I, I used to be really bad at it I think that, that the kind of like common a common kind of way of thinking about hiring is you know you need to look, get someone with the right attitude and the right skills and if you do that then it will work and actually what I found out is it's a lot more nuanced than that so the place that I usually start is that if you want the output of the team to be greater than the sum of the parts, then you actually have to look at a company as, as a sum of parts. And so I might need role X and I've already got three people in that area. What I need to be doing is not just looking at the skills that, that person needs to bring in, but how these three people already work and how that new person is going to slot in. So the mm. best piece of work I ever did was I had a leadership team and on paper, they were fantastic, but in practice, we, we just didn't seem to get the throughput and the output that you would expect for that many people doing that job at that level. And it turned out it's because I'd hired loads of people that were the same. And I don't mean the same doing the same job or having the same skills like they were all across the operation, but they were the same type of person. So they were introverted steady they didn't challenge the status quo they weren't mm. drivers they were decision by committee and so what I actually did was map my leadership team out onto and you can use any of those behavioral charts but I did it on the disc profiling you know the kind of red blue green yellow mm. and we were all greens and yellows so no yeah. wonder we never got anything done because there was no numerous analytic people like blues and there was no drivers there was no people with the drum going faster 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 and you mm. need kind of a balance and so now when we when it comes to hiring every single person before we even look at a cv or we look at their experience or anything like that we have a character composition for that role that we check through a series of questions so we understand across the five characteristics of humans what sort of person is going to be coming in the building because if they don't fit the existing team doesn't matter how good they are and what the experience is the team will function to its maximum uh, potential because also you talk about hiring people with grit and I think especially if you're in a small business you can't afford to have someone who comes along who might be really really skilled but they're kind of sitting waiting to be told what to do mm. and um, they'll work in a certain way like you you need people who also like when when we're hiring now it's like are they going to pack boxes they're not being hired to pack boxes right but if they're if they're would know, they? corporate yeah would they when we're going fuck we've been on Lorraine and there's like hundreds of orders coming in can they do that and that's become quite critical because and actually we've been pretty lucky because I think the core team are all those kinds of people if you don't ask that or kind of try and figure that out quite early you could get someone in who then everyone's like well she's not willing to mm get and then and then there's becomes a bit of a them and us doesn't it even if it's not from you within your team you can see it and you're like shit how do I fix that and it can be very much about personality so I can't remember exact stat but once someone once told me this and I think it's so so true is that a bad hire costs you twice so it's Mm. not it's not just that you've missed an opportunity to have someone in the business for like six months that was producing um but it's double dinged because it's actually then you have to replace them and then get that other new person so you can you you can lose like a year hiring the wrong person and so yeah I think it's um someone once said to me I didn't realize how important people were but actually they're the only thing that's important and I really believe that now and so yeah all my effort now goes into people either the development of them in the company or the hiring of them and it's certainly not what I thought I was going to be doing in this job like you think I'm going to do strategy and I'm going to do vision and you do that stuff but actually 80% of all of my time is like people I so agree like what I think Basically, it feels like I do HR a lot of the time. It's just managing to make sure that things are all happening, isn't it? It's like... 
I know, I know, and I'm going to say something that's probably, I don't think it'll win me any kind of popularity contest. <laughs> so I, I apologize in advance, but I found now that the hardest part of my job is the amount of responsibility everybody expects an employer to have. So I genuinely at times feel like people's mental health therapist, their coach, their mentor, their mm. career counselor, their mother, their friends, their social life, their mm. source of wealth. It's just like all of these things that you have to like, now consider about people and it's exhausting I actually think that the the employer has taken over quite a bit of the burden of the state you know because there's so much pressure on the NHS and and on all the services that everybody needs to make their lives run that actually people the the slack is being being picked up by business and I realize that that won't be very popular no but 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 that's changed as well hasn't it because I think younger people coming into work have a much higher expectation of all the good stuff that I suppose we probably felt once we work to a certain level we'll get I don't know you yeah know, like whether that's flexibility or benefits or whatever that stuff whereas I think people come into it now expecting it I don't think it's a bad thing for you to point out that that actually does put a mass especially small businesses or small to medium businesses who employ what is it 44 percent of the UK's workforce mm. which is massive and you don't have loads of support and you don't have big teams around you necessarily and you you're right it puts a it can put a huge strain on because also you're trying to make this business work yeah and I think it was the same throughout the pandemic you know with like the furlough scheme and all of this additional stuff that got brought in I think it's a it's really hard when you're a small business and it's you and maybe one other person that's carrying the brunt of that responsibility Mm -hmm. like the stress that 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 puts on you knowing that you have to furlough someone or you might have to make them redundant or when this, you know, there's more and more legislation constantly coming through saying you have to do this, you have to do that. And it just adds a lot of burden and cost into small businesses that are only just staying afloat as it is. So mm. they generate about 60% of our GDP. Small businesses in the UK are the backbone of the UK economy, but I think they're often overlooked when it comes to legislation and things coming in. And we don't realise this burden that we're putting on small businesses that they have to carry, both like from an economic point of view, but for me, from a mental health point of view. This business episode is sponsored by HR Star, a HR consultancy who can offer businesses support and their aim is actually to reinvent the poor reputation of HR. They say that HR are not just the department brought into hire or fire and they want to help you with people who are your number one priority because without the people, you don't have a business. At Don't Buy Her Flowers, we started working with HR Start a couple of years ago when the business had grown to the point that we needed to be really clear on workplace policies and how we look after the team, but we weren't of the size where we would have a permanent HR person in-house. I think when you're growing a business and there's so much going on, it's just really helpful to have experts to run things by so we know we're doing the right thing, um, help with the admin of contracts and that kind of thing, and creating a business where you're proud to employ people working with HR experts who actually know what they're doing. So if you visit hr-star.co.uk for more information, and if you contact them and quote DBHF, they'll give you 10% off their people strategy session. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Because you've talked about having burnout. I don't know if you call it a breakdown. <laughs> and I burnt out. That was all, as as most people do. And this is going to sound really weird when I say this, but I am so glad that I burnt out at a young age. I'm so glad that I went out the trap doors and I just went mental for about five or six years and then fell over. Because mm. what that's enabled me to do is take a lot of the measures that I find people take when they're having their first child. And because we're not having our first child till we're 32, 33, whatever, we don't redress the imbalance in our life until then. Or mm. we try and do it when we've got a baby. Whereas because I was 27 and I was like actually this is really hard like I can't have this amazing career that I really want and a family and find space for myself I had to take a lot of those learnings out of that period and sort my balance out of my work and what I wanted to do and had I not done that I don't think I would have become an entrepreneur what did you do what did you change I think the first thing is I recognize the signs of it now. Like there's some really Mm. clear signs for me around sciatica, ocular migraines, lack of sleep, like waking up at 3 a.m. and my brain worrying, any of those signs. And immediately I know that like I'm on a slippery slope and I need to pull something back. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. But the second thing was that I realized that if I stayed in a company, because I don't don't think, and you'll agree with this, like you don't work any less when you work for yourself. In fact, you probably work more and it's more consuming because it's Mm -hmm. all you think about. But what you do have is a freedom over when and how you work without anyone telling you, you have to be in this office at this time or you have to work these hours. Or So what is nice about doing what, what we do is that actually we can make our family fit quite snugly around that is it ideal no it's not but you do have that flexibility and and they were the two things that I I realized is that I couldn't if I wanted to do what I like the career that I wanted I couldn't stay inside a big corporation as they were then Mm -hmm. 12 13 years ago I'm sure it's changed now 
And it's just made sure that like now going into it, I've never burnt out since then. I've had episodes where I've kind of gone, oh, I need to change some stuff up. But because I recognize the warning signs where I now it's awful. And you, I don't know if you've had this in your company, but especially in the last three years, like we've had a couple of suicide attempts and oh we've had yeah and we're with a larger workforce you're going to get that but also yeah. we've had people breaking down in front of my eyes and I know that they are because I can see it but they don't mm. recognize it they don't know and mm. it's one of those things that you can't you can take a horse to water but you can't force it to drink mm-hmm. um, and that's what I've seen a lot of in in my workforce is, is watching that happened to other people and feeling totally helpless because I can see what's happening but I can't stop it so I'm really glad it happened to me when I was young yeah and I think also you can see it and you can address their work stuff and go like right what do we need to do to support you at work but often I suppose going back to that idea that you are also mother and boss and all those things it's always both isn't it like I I, when when someone's struggling at work it's it's not just work it will be or they'll be struggling with work and it's nothing to do with work. It will actually be stuff that's going on at home. And that's and it just where... bleeds into work. Yeah. yeah, of course. it, And of course it does, because that's where we spend so much of our time. But then, it, yeah, it's um, you're not taught any of this, are you? So how do you know how to be? Especially if you want a culture that where everyone is comfortable to talk and everyone does get on the majority of the time and can voice their opinions and all that stuff. Because you talked about one of the reasons that you wanted went with your first business one of the reasons that you wanted to get out when it had sold was because the culture just became completely different to the yeah. one that you'd created because you weren't in charge anymore and you hated well, that, it well that happened here though as well in covid i don't know if it happened at all with you but i definitely feel and this was definitely 100 my fault the culture here changed through covid and i think it was a lack of inexperience from my part because mm-hmm. i'll never forget being on a phone call with someone that I won't name publicly, but quite a famous high profile entrepreneur. And I was like, oh my God, what are you doing? Like this was before the furlough scheme came out. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, Alex, I've just got off a phone call. And on it was um, Mervyn King. But yeah, so he was on there. And then there was Warren Buffett and then the head of the, of the US Federal Reserve. Right. So this is, this is the color of the conversation. And someone pipes up on this call and goes to Warren Buffett. Um, so, hey, Warren, like, what do you think is going to happen? And Warren Buffett just turn, turns around and goes, well, I'll be fucked if I know. And it's just right. like, you know, like the leading kind of economists, like mm. people that have been running the global economy for years had no idea. So mm. I definitely was like emotionally leaking everywhere across the company in this oh, period. Was, yeah, yeah. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't sleeping. I thought I was going to have to make loads of people redundant. And then when the furlough scheme came in, I was elated, but nobody really knew how it worked how? or mm. what was the procedure, how many letters, how much consultation, all this kind of stuff. And then when I put people on furlough, some people reacted badly. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, I've just saved your job. You know, like I got really angry. I was like, Mm. how can you be so inconsiderate and ungrateful and all this stuff? So I literally was projecting. It was so hard though, because suddenly people were forced into situations with maybe with partners or kids or whatever that wasn't their ideal. And so it was just this merge of you, you couldn't keep work and home separate and also like we'd be in the warehouse because I went down I went to the warehouse a lot more than mm. I, I would normally it was kind of because for me my the thing I recognized quite early on is like I need to be there packing boxes shifting stuff around because it was so busy it would have been really wrong to not be part of it but yeah it was 
really challenging and like you we were busy so there's a bit of you that's thinking I can't complain because there's all yeah. these businesses and and leaders who are really screwed and we're and going actually, under yeah yeah and we're we're doing really well out of this awful thing I was very emotional we were on Lorraine the lockdown was announced on like the Sunday or the fr- no the Friday but the Sunday was mothering Sunday whatever it was and I just was in bits we'd had this like five days of just it building and building and building orders coming in it's like how do we keep everyone safe we've got to mm. keep them all distance and all that stuff and I just kept crying by the Friday because I was just like and also I was really emotional at how amazing the team had been I know but then you're kind of conscious of going am I meant to look like this when I'm trying no. to lead a team <laughs> but I don't know because part of you goes they can know that you're vulnerable. They want to work for a person. They don't want to work for some bitch who has no heart and is oblivious to the fact that all this shit's going on. I don't know. I know, but I, d- I definitely think like it would have been easier to be a bitch through that whole pro- process, it? Because, like in terms of like on yourself, because I, I was exactly mm. like you, just all over the place. And actually, subsequently as well, because I, I think the last couple of years after COVID haven't been that predictable either. And what mm. I mean by that is like macro events, you know, like yeah. for us. When Liz Truss's budget was announced, we didn't sell anything for two weeks. And I was like, oh, my God. Every time I said to someone, oh, but things can't really get any worse. They got worse. (laughs) And I was like, like, come on, like, this is ridiculous. So now I think I'm just like, well, things are always going to get worse. And so now I'm like pretty chill. Like very mm. zen, very upbeat and positive. I've done yeah. it 180. You tweeted about Jacinda Arden and you oh, said, yeah. not enough in the tank sounds like every leader I know right now. Very little consideration given to how hard it's been leading anything these last three years. Arden just gets stronger in my mind about how you lead, honestly, authentically and kindly. And is that your aim for your leadership style? Yeah, I think it is. I think if you said, you know, tell me what qualities a leadership material Men and women would probably say to you, decisive, strong, forthright. And they tend to be more masculine characteristic. Statistically, it doesn't lie. You know, less women get funding, less women get build big businesses. There are less women in the FTSE 100 of CEOs, less women in every realm of Mm -hmm. like that space. So I think what Jacinda did was stand up and say what I had been thinking for four years, like three years, which is like, I just don't know if I've got any more to give. Mm. And she said it in a very public forum. And I think that, you know, it's a bit like, if you can't see it, you can't be it. I just really admired her for standing up and tell. She could have made any reason, any sort of excuse to stand up and say, yeah, I'm not going to stand again. I'm not going to run. But she stood up and told it honestly. And I think if she said in a public forum what many of us, you and I included over lunch and in many of our peers have been saying for the past Mm. two to three years, which is this is really, really hard. And I don't think there's been a lot of credit given over to people in leadership roles over the last three years that have had to navigate a business, uh, you know, a business through choppy waters, or they've had to get an organization out the other side and trying to keep people safe and keep people gamefully employed and motivated and energized and all that kind of stuff. And it's just mentally very draining. And I just thought, mm. yeah, well done you really mm. well done. But it feels as if as well that the world of leadership and what people think of as good is changing. So I think I could quite often have like probably earlier in the business looked at people who are they're probably in their 50s like successful women and they're power suited and their shoulder pack you know it's like dragon's den you know like yeah. the body con and all that stuff and they've said to me 
oh, you know, you need to, have you got a nanny? You really need a good nanny. Like that's the solution for, if you want to be a woman who works, you have to outsource everything because, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's not what we've chosen to do. Right. Mm. But, but that's kind of the solution. So it's like, you have to behave like a man and get more help with your kids because you can't possibly have your partner do that (laughs) because he couldn't do that. And I just think hopefully that is changing because our generation of business leaders aren't doing it necessarily like that mm. I, th- I mean I think it is there are, there are more dads at the school gate now you know my husband does all of the childcare in terms of in the week because I'm in London and we did that you know stereotypical move out of London in lockdown thing that everyone seemed to do so you know he does all of that and there are definitely more children more dads involved now and you know even between my two daughters there was a three-year age gap there was more people at baby tambourine classes and all that stuff then and I do think with every generation it gets easier if I compare my husband to my dad for example you know there's there's a light year and, and my dad to his dad so we are making generational shifts it's just I think for a lot of women it doesn't feel quite quick enough and mm. and also a lot of our societal attitudes haven't caught up like I mean you know at school I go on a Friday that's the only day I go and it's, it feels like the teachers save everything for a Friday to be like oh uh, excuse me missus uh, and then they'd offload on all the things that the girls didn't have that they needed this week and I'm just like why are you telling me <laughs> you're not telling Dave's here four days a week tell him so it got it cuts both ways it's not just a it's not just a man thing but I think in terms of like leadership I'd like to think that I'm kind and I'm a 100% authentic Jules trademarked the crying CEO about seven years ago (laughs) (laughs) because she's just like every time I look at you you're crying you're either crying because you're really happy or you're crying because something's gone wrong that's okay though right because that's the other thing I suppose if you do you know there was a really interesting episode of Woman's Hour with Leah Williamson the England captain yeah and she was talking about her leadership and she was talking about when she got asked to be captain that she was like fuck I don't know how to do this but she sort of stood in front of everyone and said I don't know how to do this I'm going to need you to tell me if you've got ideas if you think I'm doing something badly if you want to have an input and all that stuff and it was like collaborative right yeah women women are better at that like we have been because we've had to be because we're juggling lots of stuff and we're having kids as well as all the other stuff and I just I love her I mean I've watched a lot of um, documentaries (laughs) about the lionesses and I'm not a massive football fan but I just love their character and the way they are and if you compare that to most male footballers and it's like who do you want to be I know which I'd I know which team I'd rather be on like yeah no, it's and it's just there's so many examples of that I think coming through now. And so I, I think you're right, like it like leadership and how we define it and what we expect from it is changing. It just so happens, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, it's just we're just actually quite crap in the UK at like building a managerial class. You know, when everyone talks about this like lack of productivity and like where's this growth and like wealth generation coming from, there's lots of reasons for it, but one of the huge areas of concern is the lack of skill development but also the lack of managerial class and it's like I don't think we're really taught how to be leaders or Mm. to you know set forth on creating something and then managing it kind of through like we're very good in the UK at kind of academic learning Mm -hmm. but academics doesn't really make you good at business and I think that's like a huge area for concern sort of going forward. Well, you go to school and you learn about the jobs that, well, especially when we were at school, that your parents did and that you can see. So there's a policeman and there's a teacher and it's like, yeah. but but the world of work is so 
different to that. I went and did a talk at Mabel's school about running a business. They want to get women in and not make a fact, make a big thing of the fact that I was a woman going in, but just got me to talk about business to a load of 10 year olds. So it was really interesting to do. Um, but it's, so, it's good that there's so much more of that going on because I, I don't know about you, but that never happened when I was no, in school. No, no. I was just going to ask you about network because actually we met because you drunk messaged me. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. I know it sounds weird, but I was just like, I think if we met in real life, we'd be friends, mm. <laughs> which is just like not something a 40-year-old woman really should be contemplating in life. Um, <laughs> And I just, I just liked how authentic you were and we had like very similar, I felt like quite similar lives. And so, yeah, that is, you are the only person that I've ever done that to. But I took it as a massive compliment because you're, you're way further down the line in terms of business. You are really experienced with investment and raising money and all those things. So when you got in touch, I was like, oh, she's a proper businesswoman because that is (laughs) how it, it feels. It shouldn't feel like that. And you've said actually that raising, the idea that raising money is a business milestone is bullshit, which I quite like. Yeah, it is. It's so funny, right? Because my admiration for you is that you've built a profitable business, which is mm. something that like the way that I do it, the the returns will be bigger, but it takes a lot longer to get there. And mm. and I think my dad got in my head when I was younger saying, you're not really in business because your pro- business is not profitable. But I guess that's, that's the big difference. Like, you know, a startup and an SME are fundamentally different, right? Because an SME will sort of grow linearly you know it's probably single digits growth and it's probably something like service or product based whereas the whole idea behind startups and and the idea that they could be the wealth generation of engine of the UK which is what I'm so passionate about Mm -hmm. is that actually they have the possibility to have exponential growth which is why most of them are attached to technology in some way because it's the technology that powers that sort of growth and then you need investment right because yeah and so that and that's the, I think that's probably one of the things I'm probably almost better known for is is like my advocacy within within government and within business to try and get the right level of finance for the right businesses because the hardest thing for me like going back six years was to try and get the government to understand that an SME and a startup and a scale up and an, and an enterprise company they're not even the same characteristics in business and therefore what they need is completely different so you you can't have a business policy. For just like yeah because it just doesn't work and so Mm. that's what I spent a lot of time outside of of Resi doing is is basically trying to get the right level of funding into startup and scale-ups and high growth companies and the reason for that actually is because you know women only get two percent of VC money so at 98 percent of all of the billions and I mean billions of investment that goes into tech and high growth business in the UK goes to male founding teams and and it's because they don't look in the industries where women like you and I sit typically. Like women tend to go into healthcare and beauty and things like that that male venture capitalists don't look at. Mm. Um, and they also, you know, there's a con- an unconscious bias there where they don't necessarily invest because women will be the first people to put the conservative business plan in front of an investor, whereas a guy will walk in and, you know, put the, I'm going to shoot for the roof and, and hit the moon type um, business plan. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that that's kind of like my side job, if you like, is, is trying to get better financial instruments into more hands of women and minorities so that we mm. can actually build wealth to pass on to our kids in this country and mm. pay people more and save the NHS and then I get all lofty and sort of like you know I'm going to save the world in my ambition but it would well, be a good start <laughs> yeah it would be a good start and and just and th- I'm very glad you did get in touch I've learned loads when we've had a couple of lunches and it's like 
come back and go, oh, and then she said this and there's this idea. I think, but that network is the idea that having a business can be really, really lonely. So finding someone that you can sit with every few months is great. It is lonely and I get really lonely because even, even with a business partner, you can't always sort of offload everything you know particularly I mean I've been in the position where the business is going out of business <laughs> and that's happened to me a few times and you're like <gasps> you can't talk to anyone it also bears out in the data if you look at the data part of the reason that London and the southeast prospers the way it does and we've got this idea of needing to level up across the rest of the country is because we do not have these clusters and these networks where not just information and mentorship and support is exchanged but also money and connections and you know procurement processes and all these kinds of things so you know the root cause of what we need to do in the UK is actually build that interconnectedness between cities and communities and and sectors it, it needs to join up because it's statistically it's proven that when you get these kind of like networks and clusters, really good things happen in them and businesses thrive and entrepreneurs flourish. Massive thank you to Alex and to HR staff for sponsoring this episode. We are taking a small break from the normal podcast at the moment, um, but we'll be back in a few weeks. And meanwhile, do go back and listen to all of the episodes on the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. And while you're there and while you're here, if you'd like to leave us a review um, or rate the podcast and you can subscribe, so then you'll get a notification when we put out a new episode um, and share it and do all the usual things, that would be brilliant. Um, and it's always really lovely to get feedback. Actually, you can um, DM me on Instagram or email podcast at don'tbuyherflowers.com. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a really good week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.